we're going to start off by talking about um, imagining. Imagine what it would be like that if we sold everything that we made. But not just sold everything we made, because I do work for some wineries now that that's, that's not the problem. But if it's sold at the right price point, sold the right way, sold by the right person, sold without the discounting that we have to do sometimes, sold to the right places, and um, presented in the right way. What an incredible world that would be. How many people here can say that that happens all the time to their brand? I mean, there's very, very rarely, very little, not very often do I see a winery that absolutely can achieve that imagination. But we're here to talk about how we can get close to that, how we could achieve that, how we can get to that imagination. So a little bit about my background. You heard some of it already. And we don't have to go through it again, because again, my mom loves this slide. And I talk about my mom quite a bit. Is it OK for a Yankee fan to come up after a Boston Red Sox guy? <laughs> right? OK, thank you. That's cool. Um, but my mom's from uh, Long Island. And she's, if you call my mom on the phone, she's got that Long Island accent. She's like, oh, hi, honey. How you doing? And I always know that it's going to be a long talk, because I could hear her smoking on the phone. And now she vapes on the phone, right? Or I could hear the Chardonnay, you know, as she swirls it, because I taught her how to swirl it, but she puts ice in the glass, and I could hear the ting, ting, ting as it goes around. It just kills me, especially when I send her very expensive Chardonnays nowadays, right? Um, but I told her, well, there was a day, you know, 15 years I've been in the business. Before that, I was in high tech, and I remember the day that I called her before any of this existed, and I said, hey, Mom, I got my first job in the wine business uh, at uh, Kendall Jackson. I can take a chance on a guy from outside the industry. And she just, I heard her take a long puff at that. It was a, a cigarette at that point. And she goes, oh, that's, that's good. It's really all you did pretty well in college. I said, well, you know, if you have a Long Island-based mom, you kind of know what I'm talking about. It's that snarky, I think it was a compliment, but I'm not sure. And she goes, uh, I said, what the hell do you mean by that, Irene? She goes, uh, well, you know, listen, you, you, you drank a lot in college, so at least now you can go out and make money doing it. And so I think she's pretty proud of me, and I think that's a compliment. So I got to continue to keep going up and up so she could put her ice in my, my, my St. Helena Cabernet. So one thing that's not on this slide, I mean, would be a little embarrassing if I had these brands up there, um, but are the failures. We've all had great successes. And of course, I'm showing off with all these incredibly beautiful brands. Most of them are around well before me, massively successful, and due to partly because some of the people in this room that worked on these brands with me, but were the failures. There was a lot of brands that I managed that didn't work and that, that didn't resonate with the audience or didn't resonate with where we were selling it. Or it was an amazing brand with amazing wine, but it was just not sold the right way. So over these 15 years, I've had the unique opportunity to see these brands, the successes and the failures. You need the failures on your resume, not that you're going to put them up in front of a slide in front of a couple hundred people. Um, maybe I should, but you need those failures to learn the things that I have learned and as many of you have learned throughout the years. So making wine is very difficult. And my friend Travis, who's sitting right in front of me, who is a winemaker, and I didn't expect that many winemakers to be here. It's going to be a little difficult to say this in front of him because he makes amazing wine, is it is very difficult. It is incredibly hard from the St. Helena Mountains down to Temecula to Oregon, Washington, Wherever you are, making wine is incredibly difficult. And we're never going to minimize the artisan and the craft making of making wine. But until you head out on the road, until you get in an airplane in January or late February, 
and you have to go to Cincinnati for a 15-minute meeting with Kroger. And your head could literally explode at the table, and the guy in front of you will just be annoyed because you got his white shirt messed up. Or you're trying to get that one $50 by the glass at Mastro's because every, what, 10,000 Napa brands are trying to get that listing. It is one of the most soul-searching, gut-wrenching, difficult processes I've ever been involved with, you know? And I've been on all sides of the business, marketing, winemaking, production, and now sales for quite some time. And it is an eye-opening process. And I would imagine that when you grow up, you want to go to UC Davis to become a winemaker or an enologist or a viticulturist. Not that many people say, you know, I want to go be the greatest damn salesperson in wine. And the reason why I know this is because when I managed properties like Mom Napa, and we would have reps come from around the country and visit us, right? They'd come to Mom, come to Rutherford, and it's beautiful. Oh, and their faces light up. They meet the winemaker. They go to the vineyards, drink the wine. And they're just, I mean, it's great. And then if I go with that same sales rep to, uh, you know, Florida to try to get into Publix, the whole disposition changes. They're still great. I mean, I've worked with some of the greatest sales reps in the, in the, in the world, really, for wine sales. They're excellent at what they do, but in your heart, in your soul, it's hard to get up and get excited about selling wine when you're sitting in wherever, the heat of Oahu trying to get into Foodland or ABC. So it is a difficult process. It takes a unique personality, but I also found that the greatest sales reps and the greatest selling companies still get it wrong, and they get it wrong often. It's really a fascinating. Until we get to that dream of selling every bottle exactly the way we want to, in the right places, with the right people, it is a very difficult process. So what I find, usually, even in the most sophisticated companies and non-sophisticated, it is a really complex thought process of how they go about it. You know, especially when I join a new winery, it is, I mean, they put together plans and all this stuff, and I find at the end of the day, this happens. Things either go off the rails, all intentions don't happen, or they start off this way. They start off this way. And I thought maybe a field of dreams thing would be good here as well, right? If you build it, they will come. Not just a great wine, like for a negotiant, but a $20 million winery up in Howell Mountain. If you build it, they will come. Beautiful bottle, get 94 points, 98 points from, from whatever uh, you know, critic that they're interested in, whatever critic is revolving doors right now. And then nobody comes and buys the wine or it doesn't get allocated the way they want it to. So it is typically a spaghetti thrown on the wall process. Now, I do not like real long complex processes as well. I mean, there's a lot of things in the wine business and usually the cart is before the horse. We've got to get it out and sell. Other brands are getting ahead of us. A gentleman that was before me, that is an amazing story. That guy is out there killing it. And I love that it was 90% sales. I love that, that sales and marketing. He made the sales and marketing side as much of a rock star as the wine side. I love that. But we have, we have to get out and we have to do these things, but we still have to have go through a process before we do that. And so, at the risk of sounding like Stephen Covey, and I'm not as smart as he is, so I can only think of six steps. He, well, I think he did seven, right? So six steps, and I know they kind of seem a little marketing-y, but we're gonna go through each one. One of them, in the middle, we're gonna stop and we're gonna take a little time on, which is the commitment, the commitment portion. Now, Please understand that I'm coming at this not just from the guy who sets the, the pace of the sales and marketing team, the executive of the, of the winery. I'm also coming at this from a minion, mostly from a minion. When I write these presentations and when I give, deliver these speeches, in my mind, I'm actually going back to the many times where I was the worker bee, and I was the, the guy on the street, or as the marketing director, or whatever role I was in. And I remember how I felt, 
and my perception of things in these moments. So if there are owners in here, executives in here that set the tone, please, you know, if we can remember back to when, when we first started, a lot of these things are going to apply to the people that uh, work for you or work out in the market for you. Okay, so the first one, oh, quote, unquote. So I get inspired by documentaries. If anybody's seen Chef's Table now on Netflix, it's amazing, or Hero Dreams of Sushi, or I just love these things. I love excellence. I love being around and being inspired by people that are just really brilliant minds and could do things at a high level. So we're going to use some quotes here, kind of make things a little interesting over the next few slides. So the first one I mentioned is define, right? Start at the beginning. And I love this from Michael Jordan, right? I didn't come here to be average. So what is the purpose and goals? Now, this could be for a 500,000 case winery, a 10,000 case winery, or you haven't started yet, or you're just going to start your negotiant brand and you haven't started the brand yet. This could be for everybody. And this is a process that you have to go through. And I know it sounds kind of like a little flippant. Yeah, I know my brand, and I don't need to listen to this guy. It's, I know what I'm doing. We've been doing this for 10 years. You have to pause, and you have to go back to the goals. You have to go back to why the brand existed in the first place. You cannot lose that DNA of the purpose. And because at the end of the day, we get busy. And if you look back at the way you, what you thought of your brand or your wine or your whatever, whatever, whatever you started 10 years ago, 10 months ago, things change because the world kind of takes shape and away it goes and we react to it. So you have to go back to the goals because this sets the tone for everything, not only the way you, whatever you write, whatever you put up on the screen, whatever you present, but also the way you talk about your brands and the way you talk about your wines. And we're going to go through some examples here, but I love what Michael Jordan said. I've never heard anybody say, I've come here just to be average. Yeah, we're going to make a wine, and we're going to be kind of shitty at selling it, and we're going to probably be average, and maybe we'll discount it a lot. Right? Nobody ever says that, though it kind of happens sometimes, right? Be excellent. Strive for the top. Go for it. Say, we want to be the greatest $15 rosé. We want to blow the rosé category open and be the first $50 rosé that goes to 50,000 cases. Whatever your goal is, and it can happen. Right? Brands have taught us that you could put a foot on it and everybody's going to buy a brand with a foot on it. After I look at them, who the hell's going to buy a brand with a foot on it? Right? That's millions of cases. Or a very, very expensive Pinot Noir that you can't pronounce the name. And that's just one of the biggest selling wines of all time. So you don't know where the next success is going to come from. So you have to think and you have to be on the highest level. You have to think that you do it. So some examples of of uh, starting at the beginning, boutique versus volume. Are you, are, are, are you going to want to be small? Do you want to be big? Do you want to stack it high, stack it deep? Or do you want to just be on the end cap or just on the top shelf, right? A single wine versus a portfolio. Well, we started off just doing this Provence Rosé or whatever it was, uh, Pinot Blanc, but now all of a sudden you're getting other wines and you're building a portfolio. If you feel like you're going down a rat hole, remember why you started the brand in the first place. Select fewer many channels. Small wineries, typically 50 states. No, no, maybe it's just five markets. Big wineries, got to go 50 states. Maybe not. Maybe you have to do 20 at first and go to the top ones. Maybe just that's the best way to start, okay? But you have your own list. You got to get this down. By the way, this could take a chalice of wine in one night. You could sit down if you're the brand owner and you could really figure this part out. It's not that hard. The second one is to assess. Okay, so where you are today versus where you want to go or where you are today versus where you wanted to be. Okay, that's important, because I know I'm talking to a lot of people in here that are brand owners 
or have brands that are pretty mature or starting off. Now, I love this. I love this quote from Albert Einstein. If you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its whole life believing that it's stupid. Now, this is from when I was a minion. This is when I was in the rank and file. There was many, many times where we worked for companies who wanted to say, we need to be the best fish on the planet, but kept on asking us to climb trees. So in other words, I want you to have a high price point. I want you to have the best distribution. But by the way, go hit Costco for us so we can make our number, right? So that's, that's asking a fish to climb a tree. It's not the best way to manage a business. So assess your business. And what I mean by that, internal, external, and personnel. Internal. If you're setting out to be a 500,000 case brand, are you set up that way? Do you have compliance in-house? Do you have the right, well, we'll talk about personnel in here too, do you have the right salespeople? Do you have a salesperson that's excellent at selling white tablecloth, but all of a sudden you start asking them to sell to Harris Teeter? It doesn't work. They might be excellent at what they do, but they don't know how to sell to Harris Teeter and vice versa. You get someone who knows how to sell to Safeway is not gonna be great at going into Mastro's with uh, Robbie Joe. So make sure that your goals match with where you're at today. Okay, and you'll see it right away, and you'll make concessions. We do it all the time. Eh, they're great. They're going to do fine. Or that distributor's doing fine. I know it's Southern Glaciers, and we really only need a small broker there, but they're good. We're in this small house with these cool people, and we always justify because it's elite, because we have five other things that are on fire. Those things add up, and after a while, I do promise you, and I've been with these brands, so this is speaking from some experience, it does weigh down on the overall strategy it does weigh down on your goals at the end of the day, okay? Ask your fish to swim, I guess is the best way to say it. So the next one is to plan. How do you get there? Now, this is a simple one to me. Uh, just type in Mount, uh, Mount Everest in Google, right? It's so, so interesting to me that how sometimes we don't plan or we over plan. I've had people, by the way, and I'll do the Mount Everest thing in a second here. I've had people look at my presentation, it was this thick. And there's people in the, in, the, in the audience here that have seen some of these and they go, yeah, it's just not there yet. You could probably put a couple more slides in there about market segmentation. There is over planning as well, which I think is a ridiculous thing to do. You can over plan, but you have to plan or it's just a wish. All the goals and all the assessment and everything don't mean anything if you don't put a plan in place. The simplest thing is Mount Everest. If you wanted to climb Mount Everest, that's the goal. Okay, we're gonna go there. You type in Mount Everest on Google today, what maps show up? Almost every map that shows up has a line of it up to one face, it's got the base camps, there's a plan. Nobody starts climbing Mount Everest without a plan. You get the right people, and everybody that first day at base camp knows where they're going. And they know what's gonna happen if something hiccups along the way. It is the most ridiculously simple concept when they climb Mount Everest because it's life or death, so I guess it's important. But we have thousands of people that it, uh, we're responsible for, or hundreds. It's important, it's our business. We should plan just as important, just as much, and not over plan, okay? So things like building the story, plan to actually give your team the tools that they need, like building a story. Secondly is like train the team. Now this one is great. This I love, and I never knew this until I went from marketing to sales in, uh, in the middle of my career. Marketing people, as you can tell, I'm chatty, are great at telling stories and brands and, oh my God, the vineyard this and it's waxing poetic and, oh, you got a dry farm and, you know, the da 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 and there's eucalyptus and all this great stuff and the brand sells for $15 and you can discount it to 13, but you'll make 35 and all these things, right? And then the sales reps are great. I've had some of the best in the world work for me. 
And in the minute they hit the desk at wherever we go, everything changes. And I go out there, maybe they're nervous I'm sitting next to them, I don't know, I doubt it. But all of a sudden the story changes and it kind of goes off and they get salesy and the story doesn't wax as poetic and they're not as good. So if you deliver this material, this speech, these, these, the brand story, the pricing to a sales rep, you have to have them practice with you. You have to, right? I mean, the Warriors, what, practice 99% of the time and then they play 1%. But it's funny, our, our reps play 99% of the time and practice one, maybe not at all. How do we not have them train with us? How do they not sit and give us the presentation or do it in, a, in an environment with the rest of the team? That is super, super important. I've had people learn immensely from that. So again, plan, that's part of planning to be successful. And then you gotta put KPIs in place. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit, but you can't just send them out to the world. And, to, and it's not just sales reps, it's for your own brand as well. You have to have some kind of performance indicators in place. It can be task-based, it can be numbers-based. We'll talk about that. All right, so again, I said this is gonna get a little awkward because my fiance is in the front row here. She's my digital media director as well. Uh, yeah, she comes cheap. Um, uh, but commit. Now this is a place where most people will fail. And Vince Lombardi, and I love this quote, I know it's cliche Vince Lombardi, but I really thought this was one of the best things. He said some of the greatest players in the world play for him, but if they don't have the commitment, they will not be the greatest, okay? Now, I've had executives say the greatest stories. I've had winemakers make the greatest wines, but when things change, when you're at base camp two and something goes down, things change. Now, I understand as a business and I understand as you know, we have to make decisions sometimes, it might be financial, whatever, but if you waver too much, you will lose the rest of your audience. And your audience is not just your team, it's also the retailers, it's the wholesalers, it's suppliers, it resonates. So what I mean by this is that when you put the plan in place, you have to commit to it. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean you waver off it from time to time, but you waver off it in a way that stays within the goal that you put in place to start with, or you will lose everybody. We've all worked for wineries, wine companies, that the rank and file is just like, well, I don't care really what speech Eric's gonna give us today, because it's gonna change next month anyway. Or something's gonna happen, and they're not gonna be committed to doing it. Committed, like a marketing budget. Yeah, go out and sell 100,000 cases. But how do I do that, and I don't have $5,000 to spend? Well, that's not committing. That's not committing to selling 100,000 cases. Or how do I sell this $300 bottle of wine, Eric, if I can't travel to get to whatever it is? So you, you understand what I'm saying here. So because of the lack of commitment, and you know people like Dwayne Johnson, who's been touched by an angel, he's guy's committed. He is committed to making his career work. He's not just a talented guy, which is kind of up for question. The guy's the most committed actor in all of Hollywood, and that's why he's succeeding. It's a really great story. Uh, execute. Okay, so now it's time to fly. Now it's hard to make decisions. It's not hard to make decisions once you know where your values are. So I love this because when you, when you work for Disney or if you know the famous books that are written for Disney, that when you're an employee and you learn the Disney way, then it becomes very normal to how to act when you're on stage, right? When you go out in front of customers, you feel like you're part of a culture. You feel like you're part of something that everybody's bought into ownership is committed to the, the plan, there is a plan, there is a way to treat your customers and where, how you go to market. It's not hard to make decisions once you know what your values are. 
So what I mean by executing, and by the way, this is difficult after you do the first parts. This could be a little difficult, especially of an existing brand. So what I mean by that is you might not have the right people in the right place. Remember we mentioned before, you could have a white tablecloth sales rep who is amazing, and all of a sudden your goal is to sell 80,000 cases in one state. That doesn't work. Or you have, again, the apologetic, I love the apologetic wholesaler thing. I hear it so often. Yeah, my friend is uh, the head guy over in Glacier, Southern Glacier, so we're gonna keep Young's Market. We're gonna keep Breakthrough. When you should be at a smaller house or be with a broker because your brand is a more hand sell and it's just, it's gonna get lost in the big brokerage houses. And I'm dealing, I deal with that today too now. We know that guy, Texas is cool. Well, but it, the brand's not being sold the right way. But it's being sold, so there's other states that we gotta fix, no. You have to execute to the plan. You have to replace people or partners. And by the way, that also means retail retailers. If you are not making a lot of money by the glass and you have to go buy the bottle, then you have to come to grips that volumes are gonna dip. We gotta back out of the bottle by the glass, raise a price and go buy the bottle and commit to the team that you're gonna say, we don't need to go from 50 to 80,000 cases while we take all that away from you. Because the team will be like, well, that's, that's not gonna work. You say to them, listen, we might dip in volume for the first year because our strategy is to be more profitable by the glass, so our volumes are gonna go down, but it's gonna be better overall. Better brand equity, more profitable for the brand, and as a team, we're all gonna be in this together. So that's what I mean, is that you have to uh, make the changes that sometimes are not popular decisions, and you have to measure them often. And we keep talking about KPIs, or however you measure, however you wanna do it. There's Salesforce, you know, you could use technology for that. You could have monthly check-ins. You could have weekly check-ins. I do ask of you, though, to not bury your sales reps in paperwork or, or uh, processes. It's a very difficult, as much as you can automate as possible, that would be great. Your sales reps are hired to do one thing, is to hunt. And if the hunter is in the back, you know, counting how many deer they get all the time, that, that doesn't work. Or the quality of deer, your hunter is supposed to be out hunting. You should have other people assessing where your business is that can uh, take your hunters and keep them in the field, okay? And the last thing is manage by doing. All right, well, if I got one lesson, and I got a lot, right? But if I got one lesson from being in sales for so long is that, and, and by the way, this is across the board, I represent a 100-point Parker-rated Parker wine right now that's allocated in the Napa Valley Hills, and I've also been part of Kendall Jackson, where it was five million cases of wine and on, on top and in other brands that, that didn't do so well. But this is across the board, across the board. You have to manage by doing it yourself. And I did learn this from Jess Jackson, actually. Where possible, you are in touch with the customer. Where possible, you're the lead, okay? To, to unleash a brokerage or a wholesale network and say, go sell all my wine, and I, I really believe this strongly. And to have sales reps that only manage wholesale and broker, you will get that at the end of the day. You will get maybe some great sales. And I understand sometimes it's not easy because you don't want to have a huge sales team. But you have to manage by doing. You have to go out there and do it yourself. You, and let's say you have a small team. I have a very small team now. Well, then in California, we're going to know the top 100 places that sell $800 to $1,000 bottles of wine. We are gonna know the owner, we're gonna know the, the buyer, and we are gonna be in touch with them. And we're gonna have our partner help us, our brokers help us, but at the end of the day, those 100 people are ours. We can only tell the story really well. We know how to sell our brand better than anybody else on the planet, so my team needs to be front and facing. And by the way, that can go all the way up to millions of cases where you have to be 
uh, personal with the Kroger buyer, whatever it is. So to manage it by doing. Now, one thing is, um, uh, and this is, this is a really cool example, um, is if you ever presented in front of a wholesaler before, has anybody here presented in front of a wholesaler before or a broker? Okay. It's a great thing, and especially when I had Kendall Jackson on my shirt, walk in and, and I'd say, okay, you know, everybody's gonna listen to me. I'm the, I'm the number one brand in the country, and, every, and I walk in and there's Gallo display behind me, and there's you know, Bronco and everything else. So I am not the most important person in the room, and I look out to this crowd, and I start giving my 15 minutes, and I, again, I, I think everybody in the room is not listening, and people here have done this. You know, the, the, the laptops are up, reps kind of move in that A1 quadrant, they're like butterflies all over the place, but there's always a couple people that listen. And by the way, this, this also happens for your big buyers and retailers too. If there's an assistant buyer that's listening, asking questions, that's the person you or your team attach yourself to. And I, this is really, really important. So if you go into a big wholesale meeting or a small broker meeting, if there's one person that listens to you, then you ask your sales rep to spend 90% of the time on that one person. That one person will do most of the sales, most of the work for you, and you'll have your champion inside. Uh, instead of trying to you know, spread out across to everybody. Everybody else you lost when you're in the room anyway, they'll hit their number because they have to, but they don't really care at the end of the day if, again, my head exploded and, and uh, I got brushed off the stage. So you're bringing them to business by have, being in touch with customers and you're, ongoing, you're doing your ongoing retail management because you have to be the person that sells your brand, your wine, whatever it is at the end of the day. I don't care if it's corks or if it's barrels, or if it's bulk wine, or if it's $300 bottle of wine, you have to have your customer network that you own, and your partners, your retailers, I mean your wholesalers and brokers come along with you, and you hand them the business when you can. This is the last slide. Oops. Yeah, just run right through that, huh? Okay. So I love this slide because, you know, it's Robert Mondavi, obviously, it's my mentor in the business. I had the notion that we could make the greatest wines equal to the greatest wines in the world. Great wines equal to the greatest wines in the world. And everyone said it was impossible. Now, obviously, he did a great job proving that. But what, what is he doing in this one slide? Selling. This guy was greatest wine sales person, the first to bring people to his winery, direct sales as well as retail sales. He's the greatest wine salesperson to ever revolutionize our business. He started Madavi when he was early 50s, and he became one of the most significant fi figures in wine. I got the opportunity to meet him um, and Peter Madavi one day. Peter, his brother, that just passed away. So just a two-minute story, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on here. I was at the Napa Valley auction, and something happened where I was just with the two of them, and the, they were supposed to go up on stage, and everybody dissipated. So it was just the three of us. And it was 20 minutes, 30 minutes of just me and the Madavis. Now, Robert was kind of near the end of his life. He was in a wheelchair at the time. And we were chit-chatting about a few things. Peter was a little bit more conversational. And I looked at Robert, and I said, so tell me. I'm, you know, I'm kind of an up-and-coming guy in the business. I'm across the valley at Mum, and he loved Mum. You know, um, and I said, tell me, what, what's the one word of advice you can give me? And he goes, never. He just looked at me. He became very clear. And he goes, never forget why you got in the business in the first place. Never forget. He goes, I did. You know, with the stories we all know, when he went public or we got big, whatever it is, right? Launched Woodbridge, whatever the things he wanted to not want to do. He goes, things will happen in your career, but you cannot forget why you got in the business in the first place. So I'm going to give you the secret of sales. The one secret that I got from Robert Wendavi himself is that when I go out um, and I'm in front of a customer, and if it's one person at the Pebble Beach properties or if it's 
Alan Cook, who's no longer at Kroger, but was him, and he's got, he could make or break my whole year. Whenever someone talk, hears me talk about wine, I love wine. Everybody in this room loves what we do. It's amazing. Our careers are incredible. And I don't care if it's winemaking, viticulture, sales, what we do brings joy to people's lives at the end of the day. People don't need to drink our wine to survive. I like to believe that they do. But so if you have that love in your heart, if you have that in your heart when you go out and sit in front of a Kroger buyer and he's blowing you off for 15 minutes or the wholesale network, I promise you, you will be the greatest sales rep, regardless of all the planning. And you will also have the greatest team because they will believe in you and they will follow you like we all did with Robert Mondavi because when he talked, you could see it in his eyes and you could see it in the way he acted. So that's the secret of sales. Throw away everything else I just said and just have love in your heart for wine and everything will be great. So. So thank you very much for indulging me a little later. I appreciate it. Thank you.